Now, let me read you a portion of Mark chapter 2, a familiar story. I think you know this one. It's a story about Levi, and it reads like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he inclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, as is so often the case in the New Testament, when you find these stories kind of back to back like this in Mark 2, they are oftentimes related, uh, even though the Bible publishers separate them and rather distinctly in doing so, makes us read them isolated from one another. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm suggesting is this. Um, last week's story in the first 12 verses of Mark, Jesus makes a claim. He makes a claim to having authority to forgive sins on earth. And then he gives us, in this story about Levi, he gives us the grandest of illustrations about that claim. So these two stories are not unrelated. One is an illustration of the claim that he makes previously. Now, so one of my tertiary um, goals for the morning was so that you could see, as you're studying your Bibles on your own, you'll begin to see some of those connections that are made in these stories, and I, and I, which is on display in this one. Now, without any further chit-chat, let's get to the story itself. Guys, um, in a lot of ways, this story about Levi gives us some real rudimentary elements of the Christian message. It gives us the ABCs, almost the, um, the, the entry-level stuff because it tells us what kinds of people, what kind of people Jesus came for. He says it in the last sentence. I didn't come to get righteous people or people who think they're righteous. I came for sinners. Gang, um, that's the thing that the world just doesn't seem to get. They didn't get it here, and they still don't seem to get it. They, they have come to the conclusion somehow that, the, that, that Christianity's message is um, some kind of improved legal system, some kind of top-drawer morality which tells us and instructs us as to how we're to live if we ever want to have God okay us. Um, it, it, it's a message that creates deserving people and, and virtuous people. And grace uh, goes to the good. And, and folks, though I'm 
convinced that so many of you here in this room know better than that. It doesn't, you don't have to walk out these doors too far to find multitudes of people who don't understand that. Um, gang, there may be even people inside those doors who have not yet gotten this. So my goal this morning is to, to say all over again, as clearly as I know how to say it, that um, the gospel of Christianity, the gospel message of Christianity, is intended for sinners, for guilty people. It is not some kind of reward for clean living. It's a message that is aimed at the undeserving, the ungodly, the prodigals, the lawbreakers, for rebels, for the disobedient. And to teach us all of that, Jesus uses Levi, a tax collector. He, he gives us this story about this man to illustrate the kind of people he came for. Now, gang, don't, don't try to make Levi into some modern, or liken him to some modern version of the IRS agent. We are, we are certainly hopeful that our IRS agents are reputable folk, but that was not true of tax collectors in the New Testament. The tax collector crowd was scum. Um, he was a traitor, considered a traitor. Um, he um, collaborated with Herod, who in turn collaborated with Rome in, in a system that was called by some as tax farming. Um, the tax system was corrupt, and most tax collectors skimmed off uh, some off the top for their, for their own um, pleasures with the support of the Roman army. So um, did you notice in that verse 13 that Jesus is walking beside the sea? Can you imagine? Levi had set up a tax booth on the beach so that he could tax all the fishermen. So you catch a, a fish, you pay the tax. Needless to say, folks, he was despised. He was a piece of despicable scum, especially to the crowd who thought of themselves as better, better than, than all that. Jesus, we won't be needing your help. God is lucky to get us. I mean, the innocent will do just fine without you. And by the way, for you to liken us to that group of people like Levi? Why? That's utterly insulting to us. 
Now, folks, here is the bedrock assumption uh, behind the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what you're seeing in these two stories. The one that shows up on the scene that's claiming that he forgives sins and then shows us the people that he came for. Here's the bedrock assumption. We are incapable of earning a pardon by a life of human merit. I want to say that again. We are incapable of earning a pardon by a life of human merit. Because that is so, in light of that assumption, God sent a Savior. A Savior is not needed, folks, if there is no sin. If nobody is guilty, there is no need to send Jesus. But because of the entrance of sin in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, that made necessary the groanings of Calvary. It is human guilt and incapacity that necessitated that a Savior be sent. Mercy becomes necessary in the light of failure. We don't need any mercy if there hadn't been any failure. And grace, you see, is the need of the undeserving. So if you've never seen your incapacity, for somebody like me to preach the gospel to you, it just falls on deaf ears. And that's why we have the majority of religions today being based on human goodness. The bedrock assumption of Christianity is that because of the incapacity of man to save himself, a savior is sent. But the majority religion is one that's based on human goodness that doesn't see that they have any need for any kind of outside help. Case in point. The Roman church. Folks, Rome hates the doctrine of justification by faith alone. She does not hate the doctrine of justification by faith. She hates the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Because she says that if you keep preaching that kind of thing, that people will begin to neglect morality. I mean, it will lead people to sin. 
It's a very similar uh, complaint that you find in verse 16 of this story when the Pharisees are saying, uh, why does he eat with those people? They need to clean themselves up a little bit before they come to God. And if you tell people like Levi that he can be forgiven, then I mean people will just stop trying to be good. And to that Jesus says, I came not for people who think they're righteous. I came for sinners. You know, we, um, we sing a song around here and I don't even know the title of it. I just know a little bit of it about. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched. That's the ones. That's the ones that Jesus came for. So what did Jesus come to do on his mission? Well, let me read you just one verse. He was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed but if you've never seen your transgressions or you've never known about your iniquities, or you've never seen yourself at war with God, and you don't know of any wounds that need healing, who needs Him? Folks, last week I, I uh, spoke to you plainly, I hope, about forgiveness. But forgiven of what? Sin. And so then Jesus makes this claim. I have authority on earth to forgive sin. And then attached to that, he gives us a story about the kind of man and woman that he comes to save. People as guilty as Levi. Well, Levi just serves, you see, as an illustration of the kind of folk Jesus came for. The kind of people that some would have written off as hopeless. You mean that he came to forgive people as guilty as Levi? Yes. You know, Dr. Young, I don't like all this talk about sin. Um, makes me very uncomfortable. Well, okay then, then you had better change religions 
because the message of this one, of this religion, is that Jesus saves Levi's. That's not my message, ladies and gentlemen. That's his. I have authority to forgive sin on earth. And the ones who are as guilty as a Levi-like, that's the ones that I came for. But, but Dr. Young, um, if I understand you correctly, that puts me on the same or in the same category with with Levi. Yes, it does. But here's the good news. It also puts you in line to receive the same thing Levi got. Folks, Justice gives you nothing but death. You get injustice what you earned. And you don't want that. The story of Levi is just a story of grace. A man who got something he didn't deserve. If you are seated here this morning as a Christian, you are in possession of the same thing that Levi got. Now, let me make two quick applications and I'm done. One of them is kind of my, I, I, I don't want to call it a pet peeve, because it's, but it's just one of my things I want to say over and over again to the Christian church. Folks, if you get this, if you get this story, if you, if you grasp at the base of your soul, the beauty of what's being told you here, then how could any of us, any of us as Christians, be guilty of judgmentalism? If I know who I am, a Levi-like, then how could I ever look down on anybody else who surely are more saintly than I am. Pharisaism, as it raises its ugly head in Christendom time and time again, Pharisaism is a distortion of the Christian message. Do you think Levi ever looked down on anybody for the rest of his life? Oh, yeah, he did that, but he didn't do what I did. Oh. Secondly, and it's a, it's a huge thing, I think, the, my second application. Gang, when I am rightly related to this Jesus, 
do you see just how much change takes place in one's life as illustrated by Levi? Do you see the sanctifying power of grace in this Levi story? Uh, it's hinted at it in a couple of ways. Let me show them to you. First of all, as the story unfolds, they're on the beach. But by the second paragraph of this story, beginning in verse 13, they're in Levi's house. Because Levi has thrown this huge party to invite all of his friends. You see, Levi wants to introduce his friends to his new friend who is the friend of sinners. Guys, the, the, the sweetness of grace stirs the heart. The knowledge of forgiven sin spews out, not in disobedience and unruly behavior, it spews out in this grateful life. And I want other people who are dear to me to meet my new friend. Here's the second way you see it. I think most of you probably already know this. But did you know that Levi has another name? His other name is Matthew. The one that wrote the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. That Matthew. That Matthew goes on to become one of the twelve. And when Matthew tells this same story in his book, he calls himself Matthew. And when Luke tells this same story in the Gospel of Luke, he says that Levi left everything so he could follow this one that just beckoned unto him. So, Levi becomes a Christian and then writes a New Testament book, leaves everything to follow Christ, and becomes one of the twelve. Why? How, how, how do you explain that? You explain it because of the wonders of grace, ladies and gentlemen, that revolutionized the life. Do you think Levi ever left that tax table and went on to skim some money away from some of his fellow citizens? Do you think he went on to live a life? I mean, compare the two. But when Levi comes to the knowledge that this Jesus will forgive after what I've done, I wouldn't dream. I wouldn't dream of continuing to live like that. Ladies and gentlemen, grace doesn't make you less likely to obey. It makes you more likely to obey. 
because my heart has been swept aside by beauty. By the beauty of what is now mine. Forgiveness. An undeserved forgiveness. Grace does that. There is a sanctifying power that anyone who's ever tasted it begins to sense in their lives. I can't live like that anymore. He's given me a new lease on my life. And so the rest of it, I will spend following him wherever he leads. My dear friends, um, you too can leave behind the tax table of your sin right now and trust in this Jesus to save you. Did Jesus die for the guilty? Then he died for me. I plead guilty. And I accept this free offer of forgiveness that he claims to be able to give me. I don't work to earn it. I receive it as a gift of grace. But once having gotten it, my life will never be the same. Just like Levi. Our Father, would you show us this thing that Levi saw? If you brought people in here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them that, that there is no remedy in human accomplishment? We've certainly seen in the last 10 days, Lord, that there's no remedy in governments. What governments do is promise us one thing and then do another and, and leave us empty. That the only thing that will bring about peace ultimately is the gospel of Jesus Christ pointing us to Christ and Him crucified. Father, for the rest of us who have seen this in all of its wonder, the tax table is in the rearview mirror. Show us where you would have us go next and what you would have us do next. But right now, I glory in the undeserved forgiveness that is mine. 
Father, do that again and again and again in this room. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.